everyone and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is Book Club. Please remember, we do discuss the whole book, which may involve spoilers. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. One more thing. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm. Let's you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code LLTB podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And let's get straight to book club. Welcome everyone to Book Club. Today we are doing Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. I think you guys have heard of him. I think he's some actor or something, some some random Joe Schmo. Uh, no, <laughs> like, anyway. Yeah, so we're doing Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. This book was suggested by our book club member, Rifat. And Rifat, you're not here. So if you listen to this podcast, this will all be recorded. And I'll be like, where is Rifat? Anyway. So my first question, as always, is um, what are your first thoughts about this book? Who wants to go first? Do you want me to go first? <laughs> <laughs> that, that question comes from because I kind of know what Aaron's going to say. So I'll just go first. How about I'll go okay. first? Okay, cool. yeah. Let's just kind of balance like a sandwich technique, you know, start off with something good. You know, I thought the book was just hilarious. I was like wowed by the stories. It was just like, oh my gosh, this is like the wow, like wildest stories I've heard. I'm still like reeling from the shock of his not one wet dream, but two wet dreams and the and the whole thing down the what was it, the Amazon River or whatever river. And it's just the story is so fantastical I cannot believe it's real and it's just like wow and hilarious so that was my first thought I was like blown away that this was a memoir and this was a true story who's going next Erin why don't you go next well I mean I think you give it too much credit to say that it uh you can't believe it's so fantastical you can't believe that it's true and so that was my exact feeling but maybe in a negative light so it was very entertaining. The entertainment value is high and I recognize that and I laugh and stuff, but I think it maybe came across to me because of that fact, a bit inauthentic. Like I felt like 
he had over-dramatized his life um, to some extent. I mean, I do think obviously there's truth in it, but I do think it was over-dramatized, potentially, probably. I mean, I hope for his sake it was, because otherwise, like, there were some pretty, like, oh my gosh, things that happened. Yeah, I think that it was fantasticalized. That's not a word, but... It is now. Okay, it's a word now. Fantasticalized, uh, guys. Fantax- <laughs> fantasticalized. We'll figure the spelling out later, okay? At the same time, I guess, like, does a memoir have to be completely... Like, it's not a biography, right? A biography is, like, dry. A memoir is a little bit more of your personal take or perspective on your life, maybe. So maybe this is, like, how he coped with elements of his life. I don't know. Anyway, I'm conflicted about that, but it was the unbelievableness and what I interpreted as inauthenticity that I rated the book low. But I do think the writing's good, and I think it has high entertainment value. So... I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a quick and easy read. I, I agree. It was very entertaining. It's probably a little over-dramatized. I totally see all of that. But no, I, I thought it was worth it for the entertainment value, as long as you kind of have a sense of what it is you're getting into. Are there lessons to be learned from this book? I mean, do you really feel, I mean, I know we're talking entertainment and all of that, but the premise of the book is green lights, as in to look for those opportunities in your life, like where he says, well, I learned from this lesson. So there's a green light. I learned from this lesson. Do you feel you got something out of the book? Do you feel the book has motivated you? How has the book affected you? Appreciated how he was able to just pick up and follow his dreams, literally what dreams, like wherever they took him. I liked that kind of aspect of it. I also think that he has a little bit, obviously, of privilege in being able to do those things. So he had the financial ability to do that. He had the, you know, uh, he didn't have any safety concerns with traveling up the Amazon, you know, with a guide and no one else. And um, so maybe not as accessible to everyone, but I, I liked that he was able to just pick up and do these things, you know, live in an RV for a couple of years. We'll just travel. Uh, I think some of us could learn to uh, maybe flow with the wind some. I think that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I do think there's lessons from this book. And I think he's a little bit more, yeah, like free living than what I have been in my adult life and even in my childhood. But I do appreciate that. I appreciated his perspectives. And I did appreciate that, you know, I think he did do a good job of depicting what maybe life is like in poverty to a certain extent. And he did overcome that. Uh, so there's something to be said for that. And he has stayed a very positive person. And as we've seen, unfortunately, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen in his hometown whenever we picked this book, but he has definitely done a good job of, I think, going back to his hometown and helping the people there and not forgetting about the people there in midst of their tragedy. So I do respect him and I respect what, you know, a lot of the lessons and what he's gone through as a person. I will say that um, I listened to the book uh, about, I think, a month or two ago. So I totally, fact that Uvalde was his hometown, I didn't realize. And, you know, with all the stuff coming up, people are talking about how that was his hometown. And my husband's like, did you read the book or did you read the book? I mean, seriously, come on, you're doing book club and you didn't know that was his hometown. I said, I didn't. I mean, the 
there were so many other things, you know, I'm, I was kind of like fixated on his journey in Australia. Okay. I was, I wasn't fixated on where his home. I mean, I know he was doing this talk, you know, like he was talking to the white house or whatever about the shooting in his hometown. And he stepped up to the plate about that. I just, that just wasn't my focus in the book. That was, you know, I just thought it was really interesting when my husband's like, did you read the book? Well, but what was memorable about this book to you guys? Like if I were to say, what did you get out of this book? Not just lessons, but what was memorable? What would you say? I'm still like, wet dreams is one for me. Australia is one for me. The big thing is the fact that he stopped taking roles as a romance lead to try to get back into the serious, I guess the serious roles and just just stand his ground that way. I was like, I didn't realize until I read this book, I'm going, that's right. I haven't seen Matthew McConaughey in as in a in a rom-com. It's been a while. Also the other thing for me in this book is the recognition that people are doing jobs that maybe they're not enjoying. I mean, even an actor, I mean, as big as him, you would be like, wow, the, the rom-com hero, he's just doing a job and doing his whatever nine to five or whatever the hours of an actor is and not enjoying it. And those were my, you know, there's so many, you know, things that I just was like, whoa, I know I brought up a whole bunch, but, you know, we can discuss more. I did appreciate some of his perspectives on parenting. Like, I think he expressed that it's like way harder than what you realize that you're getting into. And also, though, sometimes you have to take a step back from parenting and try to do what's best you know, for your child and and see them as a person. And so I, I, I liked a lot of those messages about the parenting. I loved the Australian experience. <laughs> I mean, it was very humorous, but also like his willingness to embrace culture. I feel like a lot of people that would have grown up in South Texas would not have been so willing to embrace culture of different kinds and just like take that and take it with every, you know, everything like the stuff he was skeptical about and all of it. Like, what was it? The veganness with the Australians. (laughs) I mean, that was just I appreciated that perspective. So that Australian thing was just un-effing believable. I was like, what just, what is happening? I'm reading through this. I'm going, what is happening? And it, it's like, you know, it, it's like a, gosh, it's a prisoner situation. It's just like, it's like, it's a prisoner situation and you're trapped. And it's like, we need to write a book about this. Wait, this is a book. <laughs> like, it was just like, and then. The kicker to the Australian situation was at the end of it, when he finally mentions to the other person, like, dude, get me out of here, right? These other Australian dudes. And they're like, we were just waiting to see how long you last or something. I'm like, oh my gosh, what on earth? So yeah, that was crazy, but. Yeah, talking about uh, family life, his parents, I thought were, wow, that relationship was quite interesting um, between the the two of them um, and all of their, you know, separations and, and getting back together. And uh, that parenting was interesting. <laughs> so 
that was one thing that, that, that jumped out at me. One of the other parts that I, I liked was when he was in high school and driving the big truck and, you know, like honking at people and the speakers and, you know, everything that I thought that was hilarious. But then he tried to do, to do the red sports car thing and that totally flopped. And he realized that it's better to just be, you know, real and, you know, not try to be too perfect and too fancy. And he just needed to go back to being himself. I appreciated that part. And then the last memorable part I'll, I'll mention um, is that I really enjoyed what he did with the Dallas Buyers Club. And so, like, I know that movie has its own, you know, issues, but I appreciated that he felt that that story was really important to tell. And I appreciated that he really got to know the character so he met his family like the main character that he was playing he got his diaries he read his diaries so he was really inhabiting that and just um telling that story in a good way I think I was gonna say I'm happy you brought that up um up Jim about the Dallas Buyers Club because that I almost forgot about that being in the book that is actually one of my favorite movies that he's ever done because it's clear like how much he had to put into that role and doing that role well and also like we so we watched it in my genetic counseling training program and um I think it was a really great movie um to bring light to the struggles that patients have you know also how like the AIDS crisis really actually moved along a lot when it comes to like FDA healthcare, all that you know um so anyway I appreciate that he talked about why he did that role and why it was important to him. That was really good insight to know. I'd never heard him talk about it before. I do not remember much about the Dallas Fires Club, like when I was listening to the book. So, and also when both Dr. Jen, you and Erin mentioned that, oh, I was really like, this book was memorable for the parenting aspects of things. I was like, there was parenting in there. Okay. And you know, it's funny because you look at a book, right? We all read the same book, but each book talks to people differently based on where they are in their lives and what they find is important. I might've been like parenting. Okay. Skip, you know, like my brain would have just been like, okay, whatever, 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 moving on. And, you know, so you guys might've been like, Oh, wow. And just really honed in on it while I just was moving on on certain areas. I just find that fascinating, not just about this book, but in a lot of books we read, because it's like, it's like, what's this book about? And one person, it's like the blind man and the elephant, you know, the three blind men and the elephant, they're like, you know what I'm talking about, where one guy is like holding on to the, to the tail and says, this elephant's certainly a snake. And one person's like holding the trunk of the, no, this elephant's a tree. It's like that with the book. And I just, I find that fascinating and I think it's great that with book clubs that everyone can find these parts and go, okay, let's discuss it as an elephant rather than as a snake or a trunk or whatever else. So that was, uh, that was really good. What else do you think about this book? I want to address what Aaron had said originally about the fact that it was well-written. The fact that he talked about, what was it, poetry con- contests that he had done in school and it's just to me it's like wow you really you were a writer you always were a writer wow what are your thoughts on that yeah I I agree um and I I think it makes sense that um 
I appreciated in in the book all of his his real writings, like the actual handwriting um, and uh, like collages um, and his like bits of poetry. Yeah, I, I I liked it, and it makes sense a little bit more now why maybe doing the same kind of romantic comedy role over and over and over would get a little boring. Yeah, I, I like I, his. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I like his movie, the movie that he starred in with, uh, which was uh, a Time to Kill. I thought that was an awesome movie. Um, there were some sides that I saw that I was really impressed. And also to to just state, go back off of what you guys, piggyback off what you guys were talking about, what I found remarkable uh, in the book was that he talked about the schools. He got into three of the four schools he applied to. I didn't finish the whole book. I did get the book. Uh, and Grambling was one of them. And I was really shocked because Grambling is a predominantly African-American institution. So for him, you know, you guys are talking about him being very cultured and, you know, talking about the fact that the diversity is a part of his life. Uh, I thought that was, you know, one thing that kind of pointed out that, yes, this person understands that if I go to a school where, you know, there is a diverse population of individuals and I'll actually flourish in those areas. So I thought I think he's a really talented actor. Uh, I will buy a Lincoln. You know, <laughs> I love the Lincoln commercial. So. <laughs> that's all i have to say i i really i have to say i was gonna bring up the lincoln actually uh dr jen has a hand up but i will say i was gonna bring up the lincoln because i was thinking authenticity right he towards the end of the book he talks about, you know, I am in a stage in my life, you know, I'm married, I got this woman, I am getting more roles that I want to do. I have a relationship with Lincoln. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, how is that, you know, the authenticity of saying that I represent this car? I didn't get it. Like, it's kind of like, well, okay, what do you really like about? a Lincoln versus a Mercedes or a BMW or an Acura or a Rolls Royce. I mean, why it's like, I, this is, I have really established myself and this is something I feel very comfortable as that I'm branding a Lincoln. Why could he not have branded another car and just say, I just like branding a car. It, it just felt a little off. Like, dude, you're just a spokesperson for a car. Okay. Maybe I'll go look at a Lincoln to see what's so special about it. But, you know, I've been looking at a lot of cars and I'm kind of like, you're just branding a car. That was that was one thing I felt like a little bit like, um, how is that true to yourself? I just didn't. I don't know. Dr. Chen. Maybe he just really liked the way he acted in the commercial. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about, about that either. Um, but I, I was going to say, I, I liked the part when he was working in the blues bar. I, had, I didn't know that he was into the blues. Um, I love blues. And so he was talking about how he was like the, the only white guy and he wanted to get a job as a waiter. So they go, he went and they made him clean the bathrooms. And then he, he was like, okay, well, you have a job as a waiter now. And so he worked there for a while. And then when on his... Uh, one of his wet dream trips up the Amazon, he went and visited Ali Farcature, who's like a very famous blues artist. I have some of his CDs and, you know, it, it, I had no idea that that was something that he was into. Okay, so what else are we discussing about this book? What are the central themes, do you think, about this book, other than um, 
I guess, green lights, self-help, motivation, go at it, live your life. What other parenting? What are the themes? If you were Matthew McConaughey, what, why did you write this book? What do you think that intention was right there? I mean, provided that there's even an inkling of truth to his upbringing as far as his parents and their relationship, which I think there's <laughs> <Yeah>. probably... <laughs> <laughs> to it. How over-dramatized it was, I don't know. But uh, uh, I do think he survived and coped with uh, humor. Um, but I think maybe one of the things that he was trying to convey is that when, even when you're born into poverty, even when you're born into very sometimes negative circumstances, volatile circumstances, you have to find, you know, something to cling to. And um, not all of us, I, you know, I understand that all of us are able to find that. And there's definitely tons of unfortunate stories of how that turns out. But maybe he was trying to provide hope for people that are in those circumstances and say, like, look, like, I'm Matthew McConaughey, and I was in those circumstances. And, you know, you can be you can be me someday. You can be. I don't know. I think I do think that that maybe was part of what he was trying to say. Well, green lights thing. Um, I think what he was trying to get at was that sometimes we have events happen that we perceive as being negative, like these red lights or these yellow lights. Um, but in reality, if you think about it in a different way, it's just kind of a sentinel moment. It's something that kind of like throws up maybe, maybe a roadblock, but maybe just a different way of looking at things. And then if you can see it as a green light for something new, then maybe you can get through that, that difficult time. That's kind of how I was interpreting the title. You know, I think as far as this whole aspect of, you know, oh, you can make it because, you know, I got out of poverty and now look at me. It's a great underdog story. It's great. We all need that hope to make it out of our situations and become whatever else we want to become, right? I mean, some of you know, like, I know Alka Joshi, you know, the author of The Henna Artist. I mean, gosh, she, her first book become, becomes The Henna Artist, and now she's Alka Joshi. She's, you know, she's Alka Joshi. You know, it, it, it's just, and she's like, I just worked and worked and worked, and here I am, I've got there. So Matthew McConaughey, same thing. I worked, I did this, I, you know, I was, I applied for this movie, and all of that. But how many people does that happen to? I, I mean, realistically, even if you look at it, how many books are there? How many stories like this are there? Because if you really look at the quote unquote people who made it, you could probably start counting them like less than a hundred, right? You can get these stories of this person made it to this from whatever, but it's not really the norm. And that's one of my concerns about these books. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's great. I think people should keep working hard and trying, but it also needs to be like, hey, you know, like, unfortunately, you know, not everyone can make it, you know, it's kind of like the unmotivational poster that said the road uh, the climb to Mount Everest is strewn with just as many motivated bodies as you are. It's, and that's the reality of the situation, right? So I don't know how I feel, you know, it's, it's great in the moment. Like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And then you're like, okay, whatever. 
because I keep thinking, oh, no, I can become this author. I can do it. I can do it. And then I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like, I'll try, but whatever, right? It's, you know, but okay, let's talk about fandom for a bit. I thought it was interesting that scene after Time to Kill, where he just went out with his friends or whatever. He went to a restaurant to have dinner or lunch or whatever. And then he started seeing everybody whispering around him and staring at him. And that flip from being Matthew, just someone who could just go eat wherever they want to, to becoming that. What are you guys' thoughts on it? Just comment on it. Okay, well, I I think I understand what you're saying. I'm going to make sure. Basically, when we're talking about, and I, I always considered it leveling the playing field is what I call it. Primarily when you look at that movie, and um, there was a controversy with him trying to defend a person in that time frame that, you know, mostly if you, I mean, regardless of who and what you've done, you're guilty before proven innocent. So uh, I think that him putting himself in the position where he was ostracized more so and stepping up made it more difficult, but also it was helping with leveling, uh, hopefully leveling the playing field for certain individuals. Yeah, getting getting in more in depth with that movie, I thought that he did a phenomenal uh, job with the, as that particular character. And I really um, like the part when he walks into, when he's in the courtroom and his, uh, I think it was his teacher who once was a person who helped him through law school he uh, enters in and he um, he's talking about how to make this particular situation right, righting, righting a wrong. And uh, he talked about the fact that, you know, when you think about things from a different perspective, sometimes you have to not have the lenses. You have to just kind of pretend that you're looking and you're not you don't have sight. You're only thinking about who was placed in harm's way. And at that time, who was placed in home's way was, and regardless of what, what the actual ethnicity, what gender, what, whatever, the child was placed in home's way. So in order for me to tell this story to the jury is that you need to not have lenses as to who's black, who's white, who was harmed, and how would you feel about your child being harmed? And I think he did a phenomenal job with depicting that character. So I don't know if you guys remember that part, but that was my, that was my favorite. So <laughs> I thought that was like, uh, I was in tears. I was like, oh, and that's why ever since I've, you know, I love him. He's, he's a good looking guy, Matthew McConaughey. I think he's awesome. Um, <laughs> I see you laughing, Dr. Ahmed, but he's a, he's a good looking guy. He's definitely some eye candy and all those things around, I guess, being typecast. I'm, I'm jumping around here, that typecast with him getting away from the romantic roles was probably what people or how people only perceived him to play. So he decided, I'm going to go out and I got to do something different. I got to do something where people take me more serious as an actor. So that's that's my take. I'm sorry I, add, I added too much in there, but hey, when I go, I go. <laughs> that's quite okay. It's quite okay. No, the question I had was fandom, right? Like his life turned after A Time to Kill. It's, um, you know, like, so he plays this part and boom, he's no longer just 
somebody, it's almost like magical, like all of a sudden you're a celebrity. We, I don't, I've never experienced something like that, you know, but I, I mean, I'm asking for a comment on something we haven't really experienced, but I just thought it was just really interesting to hear it from his point of view about going to a restaurant. You know, what are your thoughts on it? Or did that scene not even matter to you guys? You're like, well, yeah, of course, you're, you're Matthew McConaughey now. Well, okay, whatever. I mean, lots of other celebrities have talked about it. I mean, uh, probably one of the biggest people to talk about it was Prince Harry, you know, for a long time. We talked about like, I can't even go out and like be a normal 18, 19, 20, 21 year old person because I get judged and I get like, I've got the media. And of course, you know, how his mom died also very much plays a role in I'm sure his feelings about that. But I didn't, I wasn't really surprised by it. It's the same stuff that they all say about paparazzi or the, you know, reporters. Yes, it's fans, but it's both. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we create this, like, I don't know, greater than mentality around celebrities and we can't let them just live their life. And I think it's like, we should probably just let them live their life. If they, I mean, if they haven't done anything terrible, I mean, I'm not against, you know, I don't know, maybe shaming somebody out of a restaurant here or there when they've made poor choices. <laughs> you know, and some of you know what I'm talking about, politician-wise or whatever. But I have no I have no problem maybe with things like that. But when people are just out trying to live their life and they're with their family and it's just because they're a Hollywood movie star, we should probably like just let them eat their dinner. Fine. Next time I see any celebrity, I'll just not go crazy and I'll just let them eat their dinner. Well. I mean, I saw Alka and I just, hi, Alka. Hey, how's it going? Anyway, but um, Dr. Healy. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think he handled it about as well as your average celebrity handled it, like according to his, you know, memoir, right? So he, uh, it went all to his head. There were girls and substances and yada, yada. And then eventually he realized, okay, this is not going anywhere. I need to go reset myself. Hence the, you know, wet dream up the river to Africa, right? Um, the interesting thought part that I thought was um, how his mom handled it. I thought that was hilarious that she was like giving all these interviews on date line or whatever um and, and then he becomes even more famous uh, after after that and of course and that you know throws a um a bit of a uh, a wretch in their relationship and then they separated for a, a while and didn't talk to his mom but yeah i think the the fame can go to everyone said i just thought it was interesting you know like you said that the mom was using oh my gosh matthew is famous so I am going to get some fame out of it. And um, it was, you know, it's a debatable, was it selfishness? You know, normally moms are supposed to be selfless, but this was more of a, well, from Matthew's side, it was like, oh my gosh, you're just using me for your own fame. But then again, the mom would be like, hey, you're my child. So I don't know. It's, I'm not a parent, but it's just kind of Dr. Dr. Jen was like, you know, when you brought it up, I'm like, that is true. That was hilarious. I was just kind of like something I remember too. I was like, woman, oh yeah. I mean, I guess we all want to be special and recognized and we'll take it any way we get. And it's kind of like, hey, you're my child. You owe me. I did. I raised you. I did all this. You owe me. I don't have, I don't owe you any explanation. That's kind of sort of, I mean, I don't know, but, but what do I know? Uh, Deborah. 
But, but like, like you guys said, I think he handled, he handled it well. I just think that um, with fandom, when you're talking about that, going back to it, it just depends on, I guess, the publicity, you know, what type, you know, when we talk about different, I guess, fans, individual celebrities, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, you know, if it's something that's, if it's something that's positive, because I think about poor Monica Lewinsky, who always <laughs> has to go out, even though, she, I mean, she's a celebrity, but even has she has to go out, people are probing and just think about how, how she got that. You know, you're with me? Where with him in this role, it's different. Like I said, he kind of like was setting and leveling the playing field and people, even though it was, he was an actor, it was that people perceive that as, okay, is this really this individual? Because I realized that some actors really have to get into character to really portray who they are. And then when they, how they handle the aftermath of the movie or whatever they're doing, you know, if they're handling it well, whether or not, you know, they, they handle it not so well, that kind of either keeps them there at the pinnacle or either buries them. Are you with me? So I think that's important. I think that he, to me, he's doing a very good job with handling. I mean, his family, I'm, I'm not really, you said something about the mom, you know, how the mom is taking advantage of those things. And, you know, of course, parents do that. But I mean, I think for as far as him is concerned, he's doing a great job with handling uh, being a celebrity. That's my take again. I'm sorry. No need to apologize. No, this is good because it's very interesting that you bring that up about Monica Lewinsky, because when someone wants to write a memoir, I was on Clubhouse once and I was talking about, you know, maybe I might want to write a memoir or someone else was talking about, I want to write a memoir. So then it became, okay, what is your memoir going to be about and why do you want to write this memoir? So when I said, well, you know, I had this ex-husband, blah, blah, blah. He was alcoholic, you know, and then they were like, okay, think about this. If you wrote this memoir and you focused on your ex-husband and the alcoholism and whatever else, once that memoir comes out, that's what you will be known for, for the rest of your life. Everybody, when they meet you, you will be that woman who was married to this alcoholic man. You won't have your own identity. So I just, I think when Deborah, you said this Monica Lewinsky thing, you know, negative publicity, you do lose your identity in that case. But on that note, this book, right, it balances it out. Like as a memoir, it's kind of like, okay, what is... Matthew McConaughey's identity based on this book alone, not based on him as an actor or what you've seen on the screen. What is his identity based on this book alone? And it's pretty balanced, I thought. It was just a regular man living a regular life. And it's something that, you know, if I were to meet him on the street, I'm not going to be like, I know you for this. Of course, I'll always know Matthew McConaughey now for his wet dreams. Maybe that's what I'm going to bring up. But other than that, maybe that is his identity to me, you know, in this book. But I mean, but for the most part, it's going to be balanced because I'm always going to think about Australia and the fact that he's no longer a rom-com guy I may you know and the balance of 
well, why Lincoln? You know, why'd you pick that car? And, you know, that so there isn't a there wasn't a focal point of this book that says this is me. It's more like I'm on this journey and I started here and it's just this journey. And I think that was well done as far as balance goes. Any comments on that? Oh, and I mean, yeah, I agree. I think it was well balanced. Uh, You got the pros, the cons. I mean, he balanced it with humor, with seriousness. Very well written. I agree that the story, maybe that is one of his big themes is like life is a journey. And with any journey, you get, you know, potholes that you're not expecting to come across. And, you know, maybe the bridge is washed out here or there. (laughs) So, but you, you know, you keep going on your journey. You find a way to keep going. And uh, I, yeah, I, I do like that. I do think that that's a, it's a great way of looking at what he's trying to say. So if you guys were to meet him, what would you say to him after, you know, like if he's doing like a book signing for green lights, you're meeting him in the capacity, not as I'm meeting Matthew McConaughey, the actor, I'm meeting Matthew McConaughey, the author, what would you say to him? Let me be clear. I am more of a fan of Matthew McConaughey as an author and as his serious roles. I never liked him in rom-coms. That was never like a lot of people have always thought, oh, he's so attractive. And I've always been like, oh, he's kind of, I don't know, not really my type. I don't (laughs) like I can't get behind. I'm not physically attracted to him. And I always thought he was a little bit of cheese on his, you know, rom-com stuff. So I I would never fawn over him in that way. But I think I would tell him like great entertainment value. I can respect that this was your take on your life. And these were the messages. And I think they were great messages. So I think it was well done. It was well written. I would definitely read it again. Although I still do not buy into the authenticity of every bit of it. Like I, I don't think that that is like reality, but there's an inkling of truth to it. So. Aaron, I want to talk more about this whole thing of I don't buy into this. This is not reality. This inkling of truth. So what percentage of this is BS? And what percent do you think is truth? So I think that he was much more authentic and real in the last 20% of the book than he was in the first 80%. You can like there's a tone difference. Like you can feel it. And he has to make up more with more humor in the beginning of the book, especially I would say like the first 30 to 50% of the book. He uses humor to offset some of the very like the, the seriousness of what is happening. In the moment, did he say some of those funny things that he said that he said in his memoir? I don't know. I think that as an adult, like that's his way of coping with it. I think that his parents had a volatile relationship. And I think that that spilled over into a volatile family life and a vulnerable childhood. And I think that a lot of what he said in this memoir are things that he probably as an adult would like coach his young self to say, but I don't know if a lot of the humor that you hear in those, in the midst of those stories really happened. Okay. I think it's coping. I think it's a coping mechanism. I don't know. I'm a counselor. That's my instinct. I'm just saying what my instinct is. I don't, I do think again, that the, that the uh, essence of those relationships and the vulnerability and the um, volatility is real. That feels real. But I think that 
the excess of humor and dramatization is his coping mechanism. And like, he needs to tell that part of his life for you to understand maybe his total story, but you had to offset it. He had to cope with revisiting those memories. That's very valid, Erin. I never thought of it this way because it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. This is an adult Matthew McConaughey who's going back to a past and that he has to handle that this is my past. And the adult Matthew McConaughey is able to throw in humor. He has the experience to throw in humor. Did the child McConaughey have the ability to have that amount of, I don't know, humor as a coping mechanism? It's it's very valid. It's very valid points because I'm thinking from a personal point of view, I've had a lot of, you know, issues in my childhood, I guess. And I think if I were to tell stories about my childhood now, I may throw in something funny with it or like be like, oh, yeah, l- l- look at me. Uh, this is me. And I thought I was so cool doing this, 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 this. And I would add that in, A, to embellish the story because it makes the story better for storytelling. And B, you're right, I to make me feel better to cope with the story and to give it some heart and warmth to say, okay, it's it's okay that this happened. You know, it's like almost watching me fall, but cushioning it and saying, you know what, look, it's fine. We cushioned everything. It's all good. Look, now look at me. I'm fine. So I never considered it that way. But even saying it that way, it still doesn't take away from the authenticity that those things happened. You're right. It's it's cushioned, but it's still the bulk of the story is still real. Because my understanding was when, you know, we had spoken, Aaron, and you said, oh, this is a whole bunch of no, he's making this up. I was like, he did not make up the trip to Australia. It, this is, he did not make up, like, you know, you can't make that up. You go on a flight and you're in a different country, okay? That is not made up. That's a freaking lie then. And you're like, no, this is all made up. I'm like, what are you trying to say? This whole book is a dream. He just stayed in Texas his whole life and he made everything up. I'm like, Aaron, that's not what happened. So that's kind of where I was thinking about the whole made up thing, but. No, that's not what I meant. Yeah, to be clear, no. I knew there was, like, there were, like, this was a framework of truth with, embellishments and like you said like we've described cushioning extra humor I mean is it about entertainment value I don't know I hope it's not about entertainment value I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that it was about him being able to relive these parts of his life without spiraling without you know hiding things like it was his way of coping with that I I I hope that that was the reason and it wasn't just to like sell books and you're right I, I I don't fully trust celeb- celebrities. <laughs> this is true. There's a message on the chat box that says Aaron does not fully trust celebrities. So that's where it is. You know, while you were talking about this whole thing about coping mechanism and humor, and I was adding that, you know, oh, yeah, I would do this. A book came to my mind. And I don't think any of you have read this book. Uh, it's called Saigon by Fook Tran. And it's a memoir of immigration from Vietnam. And it's this basically Phuc Tran. He, you know, it's just 
a regular person, okay, as a kid came into America, I think he was two, and he talks about his immigrant experiences with his classmates and things like that, where he was called some really bad things. And even his dad working in the factory had had to deal with a lot of like blatant, I guess, racism, because they would be like, hey, say that word again. Say that word again. <laughs> Look at that accent. Oh, you're, you know, and it was blatant like that. But there are some, there's like one scene in that book where it's pretty bad, where his dad physically abuses him. And the next day he goes to school. He's a kid. He goes to school and he's not able to sit in the chair like properly like he's he's in pain so he's constantly like squirming around in his chair to try to basically be comfortable without being dealing with the pain of being physically abused the day before and that's when the teacher starts recognizing like what happened and you know so the the point i'm trying to make here is that's pretty graphic and it's pretty serious and it's heart-wrenching and it's sad. I don't remember laughing. I just, you know, not, I still remember the scene from the book and I read what, I don't know, when did I read Saigon? I mean, two years ago, I'd have to go back to my podcast to see when I interviewed Fook. But I don't ever remember laughing about it. And here's an adult Fook who wrote the book, right? So again, going back to the cushioning, maybe some people need to cushion with humor and maybe some don't and they just need to present it because I know I mean I'd have to go back to my podcast I think he talked about how it was very 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 hard to go back and present the material and maybe you could say Matthew McConaughey was lucky in that he was he's able to revisit his life with humor I think different people find different ways to cope and maybe Matthew's was humor you know, maybe part of it was acting because when you act and you get into the role of another person, you're not you, right? Like if you're a great actor, you're that person. And so that could also have been a coping mechanism for him versus Fook might be, you know, it's totally different. He has not that he's not, I mean, he may still be dealing with the ramifications of that and probably still is, but he may have never tried to use humor. Maybe it was addressing it straight on for what it was and telling his story and his truth as it is for other people to see it as it is. And that's his way of coping is just to be truthful. I want to talk to Jen real quick. What is your rating on the book and rating on the cover? Because I know you have to go in three minutes. Yes, um, I would give it a four overall, um, just total four. I, I like did I thought it was enjoyable for all the reasons you know we, we've talked about I might read it again I don't know uh, I would probably recommend it to people uh, to to read for the cover I would say I would also give mm, can you show us the cover three and a half because like yeah yeah it's like it's he has a pretty face right okay yeah, got it got face. it okay uh, and so that's really what the cover is is just his his pretty face and is that enough you know <laughs> I mean it's certainly going to sell things 
So there's that. <laughs> oh God. Um, I, the video is not coming on this podcast. You should see Deborah here. She is just <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not even going to go into your description, Deborah. I'm just kind of like, all I'll say is you need a fan, cool yourself down. <laughs> like, yeah, you really need to, like, I'm like a woman. <laughs> yeah. So, so clearly that's, that's why that's what the cover is. Um, <laughs> and uh, the title, I, I think it's a for what he talked about in the book I think from my perspective the whole point of the book was about these you know seminal moments in your life where you you know make changes and do things differently and that's what he termed it as so it makes sense I would say I'd probably give the title a four okay so book of four title of four and then the cover is a three and a half okay very good do we have anything else to discuss with this book because I know, I mean, I only brought up the title and the cover because I know Dr. Chen absolutely has to go. But if we don't have anything else to discuss with this book, we can directly go into title and cover. Yeah, go into title and cover. Okay, so I will do title as a, uh, it's a really tricky one. I'll still give it about a uh, three and a half because the thing is green lights, I, I was like, what kind of a title is that? I really didn't want to read it. It's not inviting for me. But after I read the book, you know, after I read the book, I felt, oh, green lights. That's a good title for this book. That's why I made it three and a half. Otherwise, it would have been like, you know, if you'd have asked me, hey, here's the title. I'd be like, nope, no, thank you. And because Rufus picked the book, I was like, green lights, really? You want me to read a book on green lights? What the heck is this? The cover, it would be like, oh, that's Matthew McConaughey. What's he doing on the cover? Oh, it's his memoir. Okay, fine, whatever. It, it just wasn't like, I don't know. But here's the thing, though. Memoirs tend to have the picture of whoever it is on the cover, right? Didn't, let me think, didn't Tom Hanks have a memoir? Was this picture on the cover? Didn't he have a memoir or didn't he write a book? No, Tommy. I'm just, I'm trying to think of other memoirs of famous people that. I mean, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, their memoirs have their picture on the front. Those have been fairly recent. I'd say a memoir that did not have picture on the front was that, uh, uh, the one about the cheetah. You know, the cheetah. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly who you, what are you talking about? Uh, Glennon Doyle. Um, Glennon Glenn- Doyle. Her picture is not on the front, it, but okay. it's beautiful. Okay. And the, if the, you know, if it's the theme, if it's the title, but anyway. Now I can't remember the title. I, I'm just like, I can't remember the title on oh. the cover, but it's great, Erin. I love how you're like cheetah and we immediately got it. That That's, that's cray cray right there. That's like, whoa. Okay. So for me, you know, so I don't know, cover, I'll give it a three, three and a half. It's fine. Um, the book itself, I actually gave it five. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And one of the factors that makes it a five for me is that I really did not want to do a memoir, honestly, for book club. I've been memoired out. I've been reading so many memoirs. And it's just the fact that you guys brought it up. And Riffith's like, well, Green Lights is so great. And I'm kind of like, that's true. We haven't done a memoir in the book club for a while. And I was like... You know, I was kind of like, fine. So I was really memoired out and getting into this. So expecting just the absolute worst, 
just shoot me now. Fine, I'll listen to this book. And I was like, oh, I like it. So that that contrast, because I was expecting whatever I was expecting, and instead I got this, that made it a five. I guess if I was expecting something, I might have brought it down for four, but I that I give it a five. And then the other thing is that would I read it again? I would. I actually would if I had the time. You know, obviously, you guys know my time constraints with books, but I would like to read it again. Would I recommend this book? Absolutely. I would absolutely recommend my friends to read it. I recommend especially my girlfriends to read it because I really think it uplifts you and it's just a feel good kind of a thing. So I would want that for you guys. So I'd be like, guys, read it. It's funny. It's great. And also uh, one of my, um, well, my friends, I mean, Dr. Ryder, I mean, and she's in Iowa. Anyway, Cassidy, she, when I told her, oh, I'm listening to Green Lights. I'm going to listen to Green Lights on my drive back from Iowa, you know, all the stuff. She said, oh my gosh, I have listened to that book six times already. She's like, no matter, like, I just, I'll just listen to that book. I just love that book six times. I'm like, what? She's like, oh yeah, I always listen to that book. It's just so funny. He's so funny. And I'm kind of like, really? Yeah, whatever. I don't think so. I don't think so. You you guys are just making it up because you're drooling over Matthew McConaughey. You know, like, it's like, like Deborah Munson here. You know, Deborah's just drooling over him. And that's why you're like, oh, Matthew, oh, Matthew, Matthew. Wherefore art thou, Matthew? So that's why you like, you probably find it funny, but then I listened to it and I'm kind of like, it really humanized the actor. That was great for me also. That's why it's five stars because we put actors in this other level, right? We're like, whoa, their actors or superstars are there, but it really humanized him. And I will say, I'll just real quick uh, side note, and then I'll let you guys straight it is about humanness, right? We all look up to someone and we're like, wow. So there is a British tennis player and I can't for the life of me remember his name. Okay. Very famous British tennis player. And gosh, why can't I remember his name? Anyway, I'm going to be kicking myself after this podcast. I might be like, hey guys, I this is a tennis player. So he met the actor uh, who is the actor who played Dr. Strange? Not Dr. Strange. Yeah, Dr. Strange. No, Dr. In Marvel, the time, Dr. The actor who played, you know who I'm talking about, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, Cumberbatch. So you have Benedict Cumberbatch, the actor, meeting this very famous tennis star. And the tennis star is going to go, they're crossing paths because the tennis star is going to go into the match to go play. And you've got this actor going this way to his seats and they meet. And they're like, hi, huge fan, huge fan. And then the other person's like, yes, absolute huge fan. You're like, (laughs) and I just think that moment when I saw that video, I just thought that was brilliant because you've got two celebrities meeting each other. And it's kind of like, wow. And ultimately, after reading Green Lights, we realize they're all human beings. They're, they're all human beings. They're just human beings who've just gotten 
one step further in their financial lives or whatever, their creative lives to have gotten to that next level. But otherwise, they all sleep on beds and they all live in a home. I mean, different sizes, but still, it's kind of that. And I thought the book really humanized that. And now I'll shut up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, who's going next for cover title rating? The, uh, the actual book. I'm sorry. The okay. title. You said the cover. And what else did you say? The I'm title, sorry. cover, and the whole book. Okay. The title. I think the title. I would give it a four. Okay. Um, the cover. Are we saying? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? What's, what's, what's the What's the number? Five, ten out of ten. No. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah, you get five. Okay. Don't don't go don't go crazy here. I mean, you were so excited. You were like ten, ten, ten. No, irritating. <laughs> okay, I, I'll give it. I'll give a cover of five. I think he did a great job. I haven't read the entire book. I will continue to read the book. Uh, hearing what you guys have said about the book, it does humanize a person. Listening to it and understanding. At the beginning, he talked about being um, molested. At 18, right? So those things really, you know, kind of give you a different perspective and sheds light. It sheds a lot of light on, again, like I said, celebrities are just human. And, and this definitely humanized him. So I, I, that's, that's where I stand with the book. So I will give the cover a five. I think it portrays exactly what the book is about. It's about him. It's his memoir. More so than I felt like the title did before reading the book. I was like, why did he call it this? After, I think it's a fine title. So I don't know, three and a half for the title. Because before I was like, I don't know. I would probably never, based on the title, have read the story. Honestly, I don't know that I would have read the book at all if it wasn't for book club. Because I'm not crazy about memoirs, not my genre. Also, again, I'm not like while I have liked his serious movies, I have never really liked Matthew McConaughey, the rom-com actor. Uh, So I probably would have put in that bias in front of reading the book, unfortunately. Um, I'm glad that I read it, though. And after having talked it out, you know me, after we talk about it, I always feel a little bit better about it. So I would give it somewhere between a three and a half and a four. It's not a five for me. I probably would read it maybe one other time. Listen to it, to be clear, because he reads it and he does read it really well. So I, I did appreciate that. I, I do think he's a good writer. I, I, I still have like that little feeling of like, I don't know his motivations for the embellishments of the story, which I'm like 95% sure happened. And so I, I don't if, I don't know. That's why I have to be reserved. If I heard him talk about his memoir and talk about his motivations and was it like he was coping, then I would probably give this a five. Um, was it entertainment value and he was trying to sell more novel or more books, more copies of the book, and that's why he was being humorous, then I have to stick with my three and a half to four. Okay. That's hey, it's totally valid. Everybody's point of view is valid and acceptable. And that's it. That's what makes it good. I mean, sometimes it's great to have a great book, kind of like that book when everyone was a solid five. What was that? You know, cast Cast was was a solid five cast. Yes. Cast. Yes. So like cast is like solid five, 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 five. I mean, we had a lot of people too. 
in that book club episode and everybody was like solid five, not even a wavering, well, four and a half. So that's great. That means we did a great book. But I also like books where you have someone's going five and someone else going, well, I really didn't like it. Like our book, The White Tiger, like I gave it a five and Lindsay gave it a two. And that's great too, because everybody's opinion matters. You know, we all count. We all come from our own perspective. So I really appreciate that. So with all that said, I just want to say thank you all for joining me for another fabulous episode of Book Club. And I'll see you all next time. Wasn't that a fun episode? I just, I enjoyed it. And I knew Erin had told me before, you know, that uh, she didn't like green lights as much. So I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. So yeah. Okay. Upcoming for this podcast, I have some author conversations coming up. One is Allison Ispock, and she is the author of Notes on Your Sudden disappearance. Now, if you haven't read this book, highly recommend it. Very, very, very good book. I enjoyed it. I gave it five stars. I think there were a couple of issues with that particular book, which are minor issues, which I'm going to ask the author about her choice on point of view. And of course, the title. Those are my couple of, you know, thoughts. I'm just curious. Anyway, that's coming up. Also, I am chatting with this author in Singapore. Her name is Jayanti Sankar. Now, I have not read her books, and she was introduced by Sarabi Kaushik, my guest who spoke about forming a writing community. So we're going to chat, and she has a podcast, so I'm going to be on her podcast later this year, but she's going to be on my podcast soon. I mean, I'm going to record pretty soon, like end of this week and so as soon as I edit and all that that will be out probably in a couple of weeks so that's coming up for the podcast and of course you guys will have month in review don't be too excited about it because I haven't read too many books this month but it is something right okay that's it for this episode before I go if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shnazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. I'm Dr. Shnaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.